0: Well, just a couple of things before I really launch into Joshua's story. I get to finish um, the series in Joshua, and we're in Joshua 24 today, the last chapter. It's his goodbye, and this is one of those more painful goodbyes if you think of uh, the death of a loved one or a leader that you loved being a painful thing. Uh, That's what he's going to look at today. But I want to just say a couple of things before we begin about that. Um, first of all, Brave in the Face of Goodbye is what we titled this, and we are moving. We are selling our home, and some of you may have seen that, and so we need to say we're not going anywhere, <laughs> but we are moving uh, from one home to another. We, we found a home that has no stairs for my mom and wonderful space for her, and that was a, an answer to prayer. We needed to do that before she returns from Yuma this year, so... Um, You'll hear more about that. We'll make sure you know where we live. That's no secret anyway. Um, But we just thought it was important in the face of goodbye (laughs) that you not get any ideas. (laughs) So, the second thing um, that I wanted to mention is that we know, and Jared mentioned, that the holidays can be uh, really painful sometimes when we've lost a loved one, particularly if it's in the last couple years. Um, Just because grief doesn't go away, I acknowledge that, even if it's been shorter. But there's a wonderful book called When Holidays Hurt. It's all about that. It's by Bo Stern. And yes, it's for men and women. It, it's just a wonderful devotional that can help you walk through that time. And that it, we want that to be our gift to those who've, who've lost somebody in the last year or two. And don't worry, we won't drill you on that. You don't have to give us a date or anything like that. But you can pick one up at Info Central. And when the supply is gone, they have a little tablet there. And they can take your name and your contact info. We'd be happy to get a copy for you, because I only had seven um, available today, but wanted to make that available to you. It just seemed appropriate in talking about brave in the face of goodbye. And then just before we start, I just want to say, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I really do love you. And the thing is, more importantly even than my love, is that God loves you. And some of us haven't heard, I love you today. Even if we have someone near and dear to us, next to us, maybe we didn't say it yet. Do you know how much better life is when you hear those words? It's a gift we can give each other. But more importantly, since we're talking about being brave in the face of goodbyes, I wanted to have this context for the conversation that Joshua's going to have with us. That we are loved. That you are loved. And he's speaking to a group of people that God loves. And you need to see yourself in that picture today, no matter what your story is. If you're on your way to Christ, if you're not even sure he's for real today, he loves you. I want to make sure you know that as we start. So how many of you have uh, taken family videos? You know, just your phone, you know, no special camera. Nowadays, you can do it with the phones all the time. Yeah, a lot of us have done that. Well, my parents were way ahead of their time. They purchased a movie camera, probably one of the first ones ever, okay, because I'm like ancient of days. Uh, But they purchased a movie camera, and we have... We have movie film of me as an 18-month-old, and I'm telling you a story from family folklore that was birthed out of that. Um, I got to watch this story on movie film growing up. My my Aunt Ruth and my Uncle Al and their son John, who was my cousin, my older cousin, um, came to visit us. I was 18 months old. We lived in Merced, California, and I had just started to walk at 18 months because I had had mononucleosis. They thought I had leukemia. But the tests weren't real refined back then, and they finally figured it out. But I just sat in one place. And how many of you believe that I ever did that? <laughs> you know, my mom said, that was the only time you sat. <laughs> but I had just started walking when Uncle Al and Aunt Ruth came and John and I just loved them and they stayed with us a month and that's a long time to an 18 month old right they were dear and special to me so when they got ready to go they went out to the car and I just toddled my way out to that car and climbed in the back seat with John this is sans car seats all of that stuff and I just climbed in there and sat down next to him and they started the engine everybody's kind of playing along with it isn't that cute you know she's in the car and there's three, and my mom's pregnant with the fourth at this point. So we get in the car, and they decide they'll start the engine and, you know, start moving forward. And they move just a little ways on the curb when, you know, my dad called a halt to this whole experiment. Because I was happy as a lark. I was going to take off for Minnesota with him. My dad had to extricate me with his arms, <laughs> pulling me out of the car crying, reaching back for my cousin John, who I dearly loved. Really fun. You know... The thing is, we wish that all goodbyes were that simple, that they were as simple as those times when your toddler or your three-year-old, and you told them that they're leaving Papa and Grammy's house, and they don't want to leave, what do they do? Just what I did, burst into tears, goodbyes. They're not fun for a toddler, but that's an easy goodbye. But goodbyes, they're tricky because what it means is that something is ending, even if for the day, right? Right? And so they can have some incredibly painful um, emotions attached to them. And anticipation can also be a part of them. So I want you to think for a minute, what about you today? What's one of your more memorable goodbyes? It might be the kind I talked about that is is kind of fun and short-lived. It might be something that's much more Um, life-altering, but would you think about that for a minute, and then would you take a moment, would you share that with the person sitting by you, or stop and just reflect on that for a couple minutes, and we're going to play some music while you do that. So, just a quick question for you. Were you brave in your story that you just shared? Were you brave in your eyes? How would you describe how you felt during the goodbye that you were thinking about? Was it anticipation, excitement, or disappointment, or joy? Or was it slightly anxious about what was going to happen next? You see, goodbyes have a lot of different emotions that are evoked by them. Some can have that mix of both the good and the difficult. Today, we're going to look at Joshua's goodbye. And this is one of those goodbyes saying goodbye. It was going to be the end of his life, and he knew it. He was stepping out of uh, leadership, and he knew his life was almost over. But the truth is, Joshua's story shows us how we can be brave in our goodbyes, whatever the source of them might be. And the big idea today is this, that we can be brave in a goodbye by remembering God's goodness across the story of our life and by renewing our commitment to him. So sticking with God and remembering his goodness are two key things to do. When we're facing a goodbye that can really help us to move forward. And we're going to read about this story um, in Joshua 24, the first 13 verses in just a moment. But I just want to mention, Joshua's, I mean, he's ready to go. He's 110 years old. The tribes have all arrived at their territories and have settled in their lands. And things are pretty peaceful But there's still nations that need to be driven out. They have not driven out all of the other nations. And Joshua chooses to do his goodbye speech with them at a place that had um, hundreds of years of history for them, at a place that was extremely meaningful, not just for them, but for their ancestors. And I find that interesting. It's called Shechem. And at Shechem is where Abraham, when he came into Canaan, stopped and built an altar to the Lord. And Shechem is where Jacob came and bought a parcel of land and on it he built an altar to, to the Lord. And it's at this very place what they would consider a holy place in their history, a place that just by being there reminded them of the stories of their ancestors, those stories that we pass down in our own families. That's the place that he chose to say his goodbyes. And we pick up that story and discover Those two very important things that we can do to be brave when we're facing our own goodbye. Let's read from Joshua 24. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father, Abraham, from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him through Canaan and gave him many descendants. And I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I assigned the hill country of seed to Esau. But Jacob and his family went down to Egypt Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. And when I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and he brought the sea over them and covered them. And you saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. Now, before I read the last of this description, I want to tell you something that I love. That's what he has to say about their 40 years of wandering. That's what he has to say, which was not their shining moment. The wilderness didn't represent their best version of themselves, but I want you to see what God does. He goes into these lengthy descriptions of all the things he did for them, all the good things he did for them, and he just takes this 40 years of wandering and does this little brief sentence. And isn't that the opposite of what we do in our lives with our wilderness moments? We beat ourselves up with them. We've repented, we've been forgiven, we move on, but that keeps coming up for us. And sometimes in goodbyes, those are the moments that come up where you didn't get it right with that person, where it didn't go well with that group, right? But just see what God does. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. That's it period. Let's move on. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you and you took possession of their land. And when Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he went for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and all the other Ites. Okay, let's lump them all in there. But I gave them into your hands, he said. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not Do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build, and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Did you, first of all, before we talk about what Joshua did there and what God said to the people, let's look at what Joshua did not talk about. Because that can be insightful as well. Two things. He didn't talk about himself and his exploits or accomplishments as leader of this people. That's not how he chose. That's not what he chose for a goodbye. Secondly, he didn't talk about the Israelites' great strength, accomplishments, and achievements and skills. In fact, he reminded them, you didn't do this. God did. You didn't win this with your great skill with the sword or the bow. I like to notice what he didn't do, but instead, what Joshua did is give them a recitation of their history with God and all of his goodness, the things that God did over and over again. And that brings us to this first big idea, which is just in, to be brave in a goodbye is to remember what God has done for you across your story, what God has done for us. So God had Joshua remind the Israelites of all the good things he did, all of his care, all of his provision, all of his protection for them, and that he had done, and all the victories he gave them when they came up against enemies. And you ask yourselves, at least I do when I read something like that, why was this important in a goodbye to do a history recitation? Why is it important for you and I? when we're facing a goodbye or going through a goodbye? Well, he wanted them to remember that the same God that did all of this cool stuff for them, that won these victories, that watched over them, that cared for them, that same God was going to still be with them as they said goodbye to their leader, Joshua. You see, there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding goodbyes in our life. And I imagine. The conversations that were going on amongst the tribes as they gathered there at Shechem to hear what Joshua had to say. You see, I think they might have been wondering, what's going to happen to us when Joshua goes? There wasn't another leader appointed in his place. How are we going to know what to do next? There are all sorts of these kinds of uncertainties. And uncertainty can either lead us toward fear or it can lead us toward faith. It really can lead us toward faith, and that's what God wants to do for us in our uncertainty. God had Joshua recite this history of his faithfulness in their lives, both recent and historic, and this focused the Israelites on God's presence and help across their story. And also as a little reminder, hey, while Joshua may not be with you any longer, I will be with you, this God that I've just described. I'm here, and I'll be with you long after he's gone. So 15 years ago, I was leaving the Foursquare offices in Los Angeles um, for the very last time, and I had my brown cardboard box. You know what that is, right? Right? I had it all packed, and I was just alone there in my office, and I took it out, and I walked toward the elevator, and got on the elevator, and it went down one floor, and a woman got on, and that woman, I knew her well, but it was an awkward moment. She didn't know what to do. So she murmured a hi, and then it was just complete silence. And then I continued on to the next floor down, and the head of HR, a guy that Jared had hired, uh, got on. And... He got on and he said, what's happening? What are you doing? And I said, this is my last day. He didn't seem to know that. And he had a painful expression across his face as he rushed out of the elevator the next floor down. I rode two more floors down to the parking level where I was going to find my car, carried my box out to the van, put it in there, and began the drive home. So that experience was absolutely a first-time experience for me. I'd never experienced that. In fact, you're talking about the person who celebrated everybody in that building, literally had parties for them when they were leaving. Whatever the reason, we met, found a way to celebrate. Maybe I broke a few rules while I was doing it too. But <laughs> celebrating people, and I was the person who would look and make sure nobody walked out alone. And so I was just... It was a very unique experience doing that. But here's what God did for me. Exactly what Joshua was told by God to share with the children of Israel. God shared these things with me. He reminded me of how he sees me. And of how amazing his goodness has been across my life. And he had me think back to where I first came to faith in him as a nine-year-old girl. And he moved forward to how he'd cared and watched over our family and reached each one of my family with his good news. And they began to follow him. And then he had me remember how I'd met this amazing man in the eighth grade that became my husband, that loved God with all he's got and faithful in every way. And then he reminded me of how he helped us. Through miscarriage, moves, all sorts of difficulties in pastoring for churches and in, in leading church planting, just all the, the crazy things that happen to you in ministry. And he just began to remind me of those. And he didn't stop there because he gave me this picture, I wrote it down later, that I, it was of a window display like they have at Christmas in the big retail stores. And he said, You're my window display, you're first rate goods. And when he did that, it changed everything about the way I went through that goodbye. Because what he was telling me is, Anne, you did not go out of that office alone. You were not on the elevator alone. You are not in this parking garage by yourself. You are not walking out alone or on your own. I'm with you. That's what he wants us to know. That's why he wants us to recount his goodness across our life so that we will recognize and experience again the freshness of his presence, the reality of God in our lives and who he is and what he does. And in those kinds of goodbyes, when we remember his goodness, it counters the lies of the enemy who sets himself against us to to whisper lies to us that will that are his goal to take us down, to drive a wedge between us and God, to say, God, how could you? God, why would you? Why is this happening? Instead, it's God's in the middle of this. God has his hand in this, even if it's hard. So God wants us to take a trip down memory lane today, and you have uh, a little sheet there that looks like this, a review of what God has done in my life. And I really felt like God wanted each of us It wasn't planned with Thanksgiving in mind, but even if you're not in the middle of a goodbye, it's always a good thing to remember God's goodness across our life. And so this is just a chance for you to take the next couple of minutes as music's playing. I know that some of you, writing may be difficult or it's just not your thing. Maybe you're going to sit and reflect through some of those memories. But for the rest of us, would you review, would you write down some of the highlights of what God's done for you in your life? Let's spend a few minutes doing that. I invite you to take some additional time. Perhaps you'll do that this week before Thanksgiving or maybe even around the table and share some of those with your family, with those you love, and just recount his goodness together. You see, because after being reminded of God's faithfulness, his provision and his care across our stories, Joshua goes on to challenge the children of Israel and us to do a second thing, and that is this thing we talked about earlier, to renew our commitment to God when we're facing a goodbye. So let's listen to Joshua's exhortation to them in Joshua 24, verses 14 through 18. Here's what he said to them Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me, and my house hold. We will serve the Lord. And then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. And he protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites." who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. So it's cool because now they're reciting back to Joshua what God has done for them and they're making it their own. They're owning it. That's so important. So Joshua asks them for commitment to renew their commitment to God and they quickly do it. They quickly give it, citing God's story across their lives. But Joshua's not quite convinced. He wants them to think about it a little bit more, what it means to renew their commitment to God. So verse 19, it says, Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He'll not forgive your rebellion and sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he'll turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he's been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you've chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. So to renew our commitment to God is to say yes to him again. You may have said yes a hundred times. You may have said yes a thousand times to God. But to renew our commitment is to say, yes, I will follow you. Yes, I'll serve you. But Joshua's still not finished with them. He wants to make sure they understand what they're doing, what this commitment renewal is all about, what it looks like. So he picks it up in verse 23. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. And then he took a large stone and he placed it under the oak near the holy place of God. And see, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It's heard all the words that the Lord has said to us. And it'll be a witness against you if you're untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to his own inheritance. So if you want to be brave, in the face of a goodbye, he's saying it's all about going through it yielded to God. In this case, he talks about our heart being yielded to God. And that word yield there means to give away. It means to give away our hearts to God, to say, I am yours 100%. I'm putting my life in your hands. And whose hands? Are we putting our lives in, in the middle of this goodbye? We are, putting our hands in the, we are putting our lives in the hands of the God who created us in his image. Every single person called the Imago Dei. We are putting our lives in the hands of the one who gave his one and only son, to come and show us what his love for us was like and what he was like by living a perfect life and then going to the cross to die, to pay the penalty for our sins and saying, you can have forgiveness, lock, stock, and barrel. You can be cleansed whiter than snow because of what Jesus did. And three days later, he rose from the dead, came back to life, and sent his Holy Spirit to all of us to live inside of us until we join him in heaven, either through death or through his return. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the God whose hands we're putting our lives into in the middle of this goodbye. We are giving ourselves to a God who loves us that much. That's what he wants us to know. But wait, there's more. Because as certainly as we yield our hearts, as we give away our hearts to him, as we say, I'm yours, God, all over again, I say it again, there's another thing that Joshua tells him to do. He says it's not only giving something to God, you're throwing away something that is in your life. In this case, he called it foreign gods. So this is the deal. They were told to to throw away foreign gods, small g. When we commit to God and renew our commitment to him, we throw away things that have gotten in the way of our wholehearted pursuit of him. Even in the promised land, the Israelites had this problem. They were adopting practices and attitudes and experiences and priorities of the nations that were still around them. And the truth is, we can do that too as Christ followers. We can even do it very subtly without realizing it. We like to refer to our culture's practices as the air we breathe and the water we swim in and the wallpaper we live in day after day. And sometimes we don't recognize how it's infiltrated and got in the way of our wholehearted pursuit of God. So I want to just mention what some of those foreign gods are for that for us. And the first of those would be greed. Probably one of the biggest ones for Western affluent culture. Greed, and you are in the middle of this most generous giving, and that is the best expression of the Imago Dei, to counter this greed thing, this materialism one. Secondly, it's status, and specifically status that's based on other things than the Imago Dei. You see, God says that every person has equal value because we're all created in his image. So status-wise, there isn't a ladder. There isn't an up and down And we try to live that here at Evergreen. Leaders aren't on another tier. They're right with you, standing with you there at the foot of the cross. We're all there together. And this status one came to mind recently. Last week, I walked in just a few minutes after seven, and I was in the lobby, and a guy came in along with one of the worship team members who was arriving to practice, and he opened the door for her and bowed as she came forward. Then he came in. I said, what can we do for you? And he said, oh, help her first. She's a somebody. I'm a nobody. I said, no, you are somebody. You are somebody to us and you are somebody to God. With God, there are no nobodies. But you see, that is sin's effects on planet Earth. That's the water we swim in, the air we're breathing that makes people feel like nobodies. Because of socioeconomic status, because of color of their skin, because of immigration status. We could go on and on because of prison history, right? Their story. God is so amazing this way. So we have foreign gods too that get in the way of our goodbyes. So that's the status one. How about power? That's another one. The pursuit of that at all costs can lead us to, to broach, to violate our ethics as believers. And then there's sex. The one that a lot of people don't want to talk about, and I'm talking about, this is about people who know Jesus and know that his plan for us is to only have sex within the confines of marriage. <laughs> And sometimes we let the culture's values infiltrate our thinking and convince us that for the sake of finances, we should move in together and start living together before we're married. That's not a good idea. That's not a God idea. And God wants to call you out of that if that's your story today. Because Christ followers live Christ following ways. That's about yielding your heart to him. So that's one. When, when we put sex in front of our relationship with God, that means it ha- is a God for us. And then pursuit of pleasure. This would be sports, entertainment, travel, for leisure. When that's prioritized, whether it's over our faith community or just pursuing Jesus. Hyper-individualism, where my truth and my needs trump the needs of those around me. So I don't have time. To do a, let's just make it real about, you know, I don't have time to go shopping for a gift bag or do that because I've got a busy, 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 busy life and I've got way more to do than all of you. Right? That kind of thinking. That's where I put hyper-individualism ahead of surrender to God. And then independence or self-reliance. And this is the one that God seemed to really zone in on with Joshua's words when he said, you didn't do this. It wasn't your sword and your bow that got you those victories, right? Because all of us are prone to rely on ourselves. Usually trouble brings us back to God, brings us crying back to God. And, you know, I feel good because David was that way too. But today, what about you? What is it? What foreign God, where do you see that the culture's infiltrated the way you see other people or your attitudes or your practices? So I want to just share what mine is. I'm going to ask you to take your index cards because that's what this is for. And he said to throw these away. And we're going to do that. Um, I have trash cans. And um, Matt, if you wouldn't mind moving that other one over to here. Trash can right here. We've got two trash cans here and two trash cans in the back. In a few minutes, we're going to uh, tear these up and throw them away. And on them, we're going to have written wherever we see something that has infiltrated our thinking, our attitudes, our behaviors um, that doesn't resemble um, Jesus' lordship in our lives, his leadership. So mine on mine, I wrote women's equality with men in ministry and the experience of that. So I'm going to have to define that for you. I'm going to have to uh, qualify that for you so you understand what I'm saying. You see, the mission of God, the kingdom of God, is more important than anything else. And sometimes um, people will, uh, I will feel ignored uh, in uh, being asked for coaching or some kind of help versus Jared. That happened a couple times this week. That's why I wrote this down, because God showed this to me. And I want you to know what he told me. He said, Jesus did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. But he laid it down. He let go of it to come here. He let go of it for the sake of love. That's what he was telling me to do. Be happy that that person's getting help getting coached, or ask for help, and quit thinking about that stuff. Don't regard equality at any level as something to be grasped, but let go of it when it leads to greater love for people. That's something I can willfully choose to do, and I do today. And this is the one I'm going to rip up. Because everything in our culture, and we do want women to be treated equal. We want equal pay for equal work. We're not talking about that. We're talking about our experience of this and how we process life with people. And love may ask me to lay down my equality in different circumstances. So that's mine today. I just wanted to be real with you. And I'm inviting you to be real We're not doing this for a cute little exercise. We're doing it to respond to God's word to us, to renew our commitment. So I'm gonna give you a few minutes. The music's gonna play here with the band, and then we're going to sing something together, and during our singing, we're going to be giving these, and we'll come back for that. Jesus, all of us together, just affirm your love for us this morning. We receive your love. And in that, Lord, we yield our hearts to you afresh. Along with these who have said yes to you the first time, we agree with them, Lord. We receive your love. We receive afresh your forgiveness. And Lord, we walk forward this week looking forward to recalling your faithfulness and your goodness in our life. Lord, let everyone experience your presence this week. And especially, Lord, as they gather for Thanksgiving, whatever size that gathering looks at, let every person know they're not alone or on their own. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.